Inside 20 is brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia. Head on over to tradbowga.com for more info. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared during each podcast are the beliefs of Inside 20 Associates and the guests participating. One of the most historic 3D shoots for traditional bow hunters of Georgia is right around the corner, March 25th on that Saturday. It will be held at the same place it's always been, at Joe and Kim Coots' home. 949 Liberty Church Road, Ranger, Georgia. Zip code is 30734. There's barbecue. There's good food. There's going to be chicken served for lunch. Uh, and just make sure that you know that you can bring covered dish uh, to complement the barbecue if you like. There's going to be about 30 targets that will be presented in this hilly terrain. So it's going to be perfect shot opportunities to really challenge your skills. The shoot itself for members will be $10 a shooter. For non-members, it'll be $15 a shooter. There'll be a discount if you have a family of three or more for $25 a family. Non-member families for three or more will be $40. The shoot fees are waived for shooters that are 12 and under. So bring your kids. It's a perfect opportunity to get them plugged in, just like we talked about in Jerry's podcast. The shoot will begin at 9 a.m. and it'll end around 3 p.m. There'll be also be desserts and drinks as well. Lunch donations, if you'd like to eat, is going to be $5 a person. If you have any questions, please reach out to Gene Bramlett. Gene's number is 678-858-7466. We hope to see everybody there. Bring your friends, your family, your uncles, your cousins, whoever. We want to see it a huge turnout at this shoot this year. Bring them all. We are pleased to announce... Our guest tonight is a man who serves us all, a pillar in the traditional community and an avid traditional bow hunter, the owner of Sherwood Shafts, Carson Brown. Carson, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, happy to be here. We're excited about it. We truly are. So we wanted to go through some some topics with you, and you are, you are the wood arrow shaft guy. You are the guy, if anybody wants to get into shooting wood shaft arrows, and if you haven't, you've got to try it. This is the guy, this is the company you want to buy it from. Uh, we want to talk about that. That's kind of top of mind for us tonight. We uh, we understand what you produce. We understand how great of a product it is at the end of the day uh, and what we receive when we've purchased it from you. And we know what it'll do when you shoot it uh, at any type of animal, as long as you put it in the right place. Uh, and just how tough it really wood really is, and I think sometimes it gets a uh, it doesn't get always get the name of uh, you know tough compared to other uh, other types of material like carbon or aluminum, yeah. but it really is. So we want to go through and talk a little yeah. bit about that tonight. Okay, great. Before we do that, before we get into the meat and potatoes, we got to ask this question. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We want to know where you're from, how long you've been in traditional bow hunting. What really got sure. you in this type of hunting? And then what do you do full-time professionally? Uh, yeah, so um, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll answer those not necessarily in that order. Um, this is what I do full-time professionally. Uh, I was trained as a biologist. Um, ended up getting my um, degree here locally. I was born and raised in Oregon. 
went to school uh, to study biology here not far from home. Then uh, did a little field work here and there, seasonal work, uh, studying. My my passion at that time was uh, studying bats. I was always fascinated with bats as an animal. I, I was As a kid, I was just flipping boards, catching snakes, and, and, and rodents under boards, you know, didn't have lizards in the, the Willamette Valley. So it was always, you know, buckets of salamanders. And was this always, that's what got me excited was, was catching little critters. And uh, bats were always sort of uh, really elusive. You know, I couldn't get my hands on them, even though I could see them flying around in the evening in the summer. So I was really passionate about bats, studied biology just because I was interested in, you know, biological systems and how they work. And then uh, decided I want to focus on bats. So I did a little bit of seasonal work around the States for about oh, a year and a half, two years, and then ended up going to grad school in uh, West Texas at a, um, a program that focused on small mammals and uh, kind of a what was called the Grinnellian approach to studying mammals, which was, you know, catch them, trap them, skin them, clean up the skulls and, and uh, you know, um, record all the data and, and preserve them in a museum. So I hunted a lot of small mammals for a while there. And in, in traveling, I grew up, I had no choice to get into bow hunting as a kid. My dad was into bow hunting. Um, There's quite a few people just around our little small town. Uh, my dad's high school buddy got into uh, making laminated recurves and longbows. His name was Doug Knight and they were, they were hunting buddies and, uh, and, and Doug was the one who eventually pursued making wood arrow shafts. And so I grew up shooting, um, you know, one year dad had Doug make us, uh, me and my, I got two younger brothers, made us, uh, made us all little recurves and longbows for Christmas. I think, uh, my, I, I got a real nice longbow when I was younger. You know, I, I say nice, you know, it's, it's, it's a teeny little 15 pounder, but it, it was really nice. It was well um, suited for a little kid. I see a lot of these, uh, these longbows for kids now and they just draw stiff, you know, they're a little too short and they just stack up and they're hard for the kids to shoot. This thing was just a sweet shooting little longbow and then graduated into a recurve made by Doug Knight. Uh, that year, all three of us got bows from him. And uh, it, it, anyway, um, grew up in traditional archery i don't know that doug did but my dad dabbled with uh compound for a couple years and he uh after shooting a few nice animals with it just hung it up and decided to go back to traditional decided it wasn't for him that was that was in the early 80s where the compound was really kind of coming to be something impressive you know those first 10 years were kind of awkward it wasn't it wasn't you know, they were shooting 45, 50 yards those first 10 years instead of the track guys shooting 25, 30 yards. But then, then into the 80s, it really started to evolve. And, uh, and, and there was a group of archers in Oregon, bow hunters, that decided to form an organization called Traditional Archers Oregon. And they were, the, the whole purpose was, it was, I think, formed in 1984. And it was, a bunch of guys that just kind of saw the writing on the wall where modern technology was going to take bow hunting and wanted to form an organization to 
preserve and promote traditional archery and uh and, and try to preserve traditional archery hunting opportunities and so now i'm involved with that organization today trying to get some opportunities here in oregon that recognize the challenge of traditional archery equipment so um that's kind of the shotgun blast of who i am there <laughs> it's been that's a long fair. week and uh and all and a long day and i've had plenty of caffeine so I, I i might jump around a little bit but i just yeah threw some stuff at you let me know if you have any questions no that's perfect and now you are from oregon originally i know you currently live there right yeah yeah born and raised i spent some time um outside the state there when i was in my 20s working and going to school and uh kind of missed out on on hunting during that time because I was never in a place long enough to establish residency or get to know where you know the ins and outs of where to find game and uh and really didn't do a lot of bow hunting there in my 20s so moved back to Oregon after having started a family in Texas and uh got real excited about being home and around my family and, and getting back into uh bow hunting it's great so what is your favorite animal to hunt uh yeah i you sent some of these questions ahead of time and and uh you know that was a tough one for me it's it's elk but it's definitely a love hate thing um they are i i have put so much effort into elk hunting over the years and have little to show for it they are just they can be really really challenging <laughs> And and the the frustrating thing for me is uh, I feel like the goalpost keeps moving, so to speak. They uh, just as I was starting to get pretty good at 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 finding myself within bow range of bulls, it just seemed like the pressure was just getting turned up year it year after year uh, during archery season in in Oregon, and and these elk were just getting uh sneakier and sneakier wiser every single year i mean it, they uh they kind of any any decent bull anymore knows all the tricks in the bag if you're hunting on uh public land in oregon it's uh it's uh it's challenging i have not ever been elk hunting before hopefully i'll get to change that in the near future but oregon is that a state that you have to put into draw tag if you're a non-resident or is that just over the counter for non-resident, you know, uh, we, we've had a lot of changes in the regulations this uh, just in the last year. Um, it, it's some slow changes over the last few years, and then last year was kind of a big change. A lot of our Eastern Oregon general over-the-counter tags for elk um, went to draw only, controlled. And so, that, yeah, Eastern Oregon, uh, which is, you know, where your your decent sized herds of rocky mountain elk are and then on the west side of the cascades you have your roosevelt elk and uh, those are still over the counter uh, for most of the units i think i think all western oregon are over the counter but there's unit by unit it varies whether you can uh, you know it might be three pointer better this unit might be any bull this unit might be any elk that unit uh, but all western oregon elk is over the counter still so uh as far as looking at it from somebody out of state i i'm not sure what that recent change did i think i think in oregon we have a general rule that there's five percent of the controlled tags are reserved for 
out-of-state hunters. So anything controlled for us as residents is also going to be a controlled draw only for out-of-staters. And there's 5% of the uh, total allotted tags are, are designated for non-residents. I think that's how it works. So if you wanted to come hunt Roosevelt uh, on the west side, I'm pretty sure you can do that. You know, you could, you could, don't hold me to this, but I think you could do that, come over by your license and tag, you know, just before season and, and hunt um, Roosevelt on the west side. But uh, to hunt, there's still a few general units over on the east side, but the good units that have good numbers of elk are all controlled now on the east side. So, so your Rocky Mountains, you're going to have to put in for. I see. It's, it's fascinating. a complicated answer. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it. It sounds like it is. But of what I've heard, it's it's worth the time and energy when it does work out. Uh, I've heard that if you enjoy turkey hunting, which I do enjoy turkey hunting, and we have some pretty good uh, turkey hunting here in Georgia. And so like it's it's like that, but times it you know by uh, five or whatever. It's uh it's intense when it when they are yeah. responding to call right. There there's a lot of parallels to to turkey and elk and in hunting strategies. Um, it, there there are really are. Um, and as you know, you know, turkey hunting and the strategies depend a lot on the terrain, you know, especially how open and rolling it is versus how steep and thick it is. And also, uh, it, it varies a lot based on hunting pressure, your strategies, you know, you got to adapt to that, that circumstance, that local circumstance. And uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of parallels. If you enjoy turkey hunting, you'll definitely enjoy uh, elk hunting. But uh, it's it's tough it's it's uh it can be really really challenging and then all of a sudden you know it can be you can get a bull to rip off and 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 he might act like those old bulls in the 80s that actually come into bugles and give you a good look um but uh you know it can happen but uh they're they're pretty they're pretty wise to the, the game anymore there's a lot of people teaching them teaching them the ropes year in and year out yeah, I imagine so. It sounds exciting. It's hard to beat when you're when you're close to a big bull that's screaming. I mean, it's it's uh, it's something else. It, it feels like quite a privilege to be able to have that kind of opportunity. You know, like for me in my home state to have to be able to pick up the bow and arrow and go hunt this like prehistoric animal. You know, that walked out of the past, and 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 uh, it, it feels pretty special. Sure, it's an amazing opportunity being there, and and uh, it being tough though when it works out, it, it makes it worth it, right? At the end of the day. Oh yeah, yeah. When you when you get to eat some elk heart or tenderloins uh, by a fire, and and uh, it's uh, yeah, nothing better than that. I love it. We want to get into the arrow shaft conversations. Yeah. This is being next, being the the main portion of our uh, just a time together for everybody listening. What exactly? Tell us the story of Sherwood Shafts and how you got into it. Yeah, so I, I guess I touched on that a little bit. Um, like I said, is my dad and, and his buddy they started um, they started an archery shop called K and B Sports back when I was just in diapers. And they ran that for a few years just out of the old garage on the property and. Uh, so I grew up this, you know, with the smell of burning feathers and fletchlack in the air and, and 
guys stopping by and, you know, talking archery and shooting bows in the backyard all the time. So it was just normal for me that, you know, that that's just how it was. Uh, but then, you know, real jobs took precedence over that and it, it, that, that little business fell by the wayside, but Doug, he kept at it, um, with the bow making and then, uh, dabbling in wood arrow shaft making over time. And he had, uh, some mentorship from uh, Bill Sweetland of, uh, you know, compressed cedar shaft fame. Um, he, you know, he, he had, at that point in time, he was no longer manufacturing these compressed cedar shafts. He was, he was getting up there in age and, and, uh, he went through this period of time where, you know, kind of the heyday of traditional archery is, it was a fairly big industry and then wood arrow shafts really kind of died down there and traditional archery in general died down there coming into the late seventies, early eighties and, and, and Bill got out of it then. But anyway, he was around to, to mentor Doug, Doug got into wood arrow shaft making and then it kind of petered out uh, more than once over the years got, the machines got sold and passed around and then Doug ended up getting back into it and along with Bob Marshall and uh, my dad and they kind of revived it as Sherwood shafts. Originally it was uh, OTA Oregon traditional arrows. Um, but like I said, the machines got, you know, business got sold, the machines ended up over here and over there. And then they, they got back in Doug's hands and he brought in, uh, Bob Marshall, my dad, Rourke Brown, and they, um, started making arrow shafts as, as just kind of a side job, side thing. And, uh, had a lot of great feedback from a lot of different guys, went to PBS and sold a bunch of shafts there and guys were killing animals left and right with these Doug fur shafts and it kind of took off from there. I I got into it. I was still in Texas when that was, when my dad got into it. So this is early two thousands now. And they were sending me shafts, you know, I get a dozen or two shafts at Christmas from dad and I was shooting the heck out of them down there and with my old Bob Lee recurve and I'd go shoot the local range outside of Abilene with a few guys and um, just getting excited about seeing their business grow from a distance. And then I moved back home was just, you know, here my dad was pretty involved with archery as a business as well as, you know, let's go on hunting for elk as a, you know, me and my brothers and my dad. So I was just kind of immersed in it all and uh, began helping out here and there whenever they need a hand. And that just grew into uh, getting more involved with the business. And then my dad got diagnosed with cancer and I ended up going through a divorce and the opportunity to become a partner in the business was there. And I decided to take it and figure out how to make it work. And so at that point, Steve Savage was also, he, he got into the business just before I did. Well, I shouldn't say just before he, Doug got out, Steve Savage got in and then, uh, my dad, Bob Marshall, and Steve ran it for a while. Um, I was just helping out. Anyway, I got involved, had the opportunity to get in and eventually, um, Savage was ready to get out and Bob and I bought his portion of the business and we ran it together for a couple of years and then Bob was ready to retire. And I thought, you know, I want to, I want to try and run this myself, see if I can do it. And I'm about two years into it, uh, 
yeah, a little over two years now since since Bob retired. So that's where we're at now. Wow, it's a great story. It sounded like it was destiny, right, for it full circle to come back around. Well, it just was. Yeah, you could say so. I, I, uh, it, it, uh, the business running the business. It has a lot of aspects that hold my my interest and passions and and uh yeah i i got into self-bow making oh when i first moved back to oregon and got really into making self-bows and and so my knowledge of wood really grew then and so i kind of brought a little different knowledge of wood to the to the team when i started helping out and then my perfectionist side of me is just always trying to find places to improve something which is kind of uh a good a good skill to have when you're in a a production business that in a way i mean it's it's kind of mass production in, in the way that like if you can find a place to improve uh a step here or there or, or cut your reduce your waste um it, it really pays dividends over time so that's been an aspect of the business that i really enjoy is just trying to trying to find places to improve every step of the way that's great yes 100 percent of uh bringing a, a business along successfully is, is trying to eliminate any kind of waste you can and making the processes more lean i'm sure it's a, a big deal especially in producing arrows and it, to me it is fascinating that you've got a tree and you completely take it to something that at some point can be shot through a critter that you can bring home with you and just to me the, the story behind that piece of wood if it could talk i'm sure it would be fascinating uh, and and so with that being said i'm going to ask this is over the past 20 years what do you feel like has changed uh in, if there anything has changed in the actual wood shafts themselves uh the process or the the hard to come by wood anything like that uh that you are now uh presented with in, in this day and time trying to produce these yeah yeah that's a great question i you know of course my history personal attachment to the industry is is, is not that doesn't go back that far but it's got a pretty decent understanding of, of what it was like 20 30 years ago in the industry and and it it really goes back to kind of bow hunting and how the the industry at large has evolved you know the the fred bear ben pearson days it was a it was just mass production of port orford cedar or shafts um there there were some some dabblings in in doug fur and some you know of course some hardwoods along the way here and there but but to be able to produce them in mass port orford cedar is well suited for that um but then fiberglass shafts came along uh, aluminum shafts were there and you know pretty popular fiberglass really took off which then evolved into carbons and the the wood and, and then traditional archery kind of fell by the wayside you know after that big fred bear ben pearson howard hill era um and gave way to the compounds but then there's always been these little resurgences here and there um but the way it looked like in the heyday of the 60s 50s 60s 70s early 70s was just 
mass productions of aero shafts. We've got old receipts from like Acme was a company that produced Porterford Cedar shafts. Um, you know, they were selling them. The, the, the shafts themselves were dirt cheap, like 10 cents a piece. And they're just being freighted by the several thousands to all these different archery companies that sold archery tackle. And the, you know, the, the company that was buying these shafts in bulk, they would do all the grading and matching. And, and uh, now it's a little different. So the, like myself and, and uh, true shaft out of Canada and the guys making Porterford Cedar shafts down in Southern Oregon, um, Wapiti Archery, we're now taking on the role of producing the shaft and grading and matching uh, shafts. So it's it's the the old way of of the 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 archery shop, you know, buying in bulk, doing all the the matching and culling and 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 all of that has uh, has gone by the wayside. Now it's done by the the shaft manufacturer. It seems so. A lot of the equipment, though, right? It has updated. No, I mean, there's not not been any real, you know, leaps and bounds in in the equipment that's used to make them. Uh, there's some fancier uh, electronic spine testers that are out there now that weren't around 30 years ago. But but those guys 30 years ago were pretty crafty too, with with a little bit simpler mechanical, you know, ways of operating sorting machines, you know, to sort shafts by spine uh quickly i mean if you watch some of these old ben pearson videos it's incredible some of the machinery they had for doing footed arrows i mean it, it was it was it's insane how efficient they were at footing hardwood footing uh what arrow shafts just incredible machinery um but they had they had an enormous industry to to back that, you know, and in, in invest in that um, innovation at the time. Now it's just we're we're all a little leaner, meaner in the industry, and and just don't have that kind of capital resource to invest in in uh, refinement of the machinery, I guess. So, um, yeah, I, I might be overcomplicating things here but i no, think the no. original answer was kind of more about the, the the product itself and i'd say i'd say wood arrow shafts are just as good now as they were then it's just it's always a matter of weeding out the bad ones because even a perfect tree you know that just looks perfect uh from end to end it, you know you get inside of it and you start turning that into shafts and there's a lot of sorting to be done to make sure the the bad ones don't get through that's that's where most of my time is spent is is um sorting grading and all the batches that i've gotten from you i've been super impressed just by how they are consistent and i and i know that it's got to be difficult to to find the consistency in the shaft you know or the batch that you're selling the dozen batch that you're selling uh it's it i know i'm sure that takes a lot of work I want to know this because I, I talked about it earlier and I know uh, there's been a few times that I have been around, you know, guys that have never shot wood shafts. Um, they've never oh, shot aluminum. It's always just been ca carbon shafts. Right. And so you all, you always get somebody that'll uh, uh, give you a hard time and say, why don't you, you know, use something that's more modern. Uh, you can shoot a traditional bow, but you can, why don't you choose some more modern arrow 
uh, you know, something uh, along the lines of carbon or aluminum. So I want to know, and I, I know there's been your customers that have sent, sent you trophy photos. What has been uh, one or what is something that is game-wise that is just to you been like, wow, that's that's a, a big animal that they were successfully able to, to harvest with a wooden arrow? Yeah, um, I I think uh, I when when I have a customer call and they're they're new and they've only ever shot carbon, I can tell they're just not real confident. They're kind of they're wanting to try it out, but at the same time they're kind of like, is this does this stuff really work? <laughs> you know, and uh, so I usually just bring up examples from uh, like Brian Burkhart's got quite a uh, portfolio, his trophy room of uh, big bull moose taken in Alaska is uh pretty impressive and and he's been shooting sherwood shafts for quite a while like he i think he picked up on shooting doug fur from sherwood uh when dad and and uh and, and i think maybe it's steve that went to the uh pbs banquet up in portland and sold a bunch of shafts or no the first one they went to was back in cincinnati ohio and they sold a bunch of shafts back there and and that might have been when brian picked up shooting Doug fur, which was, that was quite a while ago. He's, he's shot a lot of big animals, but yeah, there's guys who shot big Buffalo with them. Um, you know, a number of Brown bears, Steve Owensy up in Alaska. Well, I think he's in Wyoming, uh, but he, he's killed a few, uh, Alaska Brown bear with, uh, Doug fur shafts. Uh, there, there's, a, there's quite a few big game and I'll get guys that send me, you know, they'll call and order some shafts and they'll tell me all about these animals they've killed over the last 10, 15 years shooting Doug for shafts. And I've never, you know, they're not on social media. I've, nobody knows about it, but they've, <laughs> they've uh, taken tons of animals with, uh, with the wet arrow. So there's a lot of guys out there doing it. They're just not necessarily um, sharing it on social media and whatnot. Uh, a lot more than I would have thought. Uh, but yeah, they, uh, they'll, they'll, you know, what, what works is a well-tuned arrow with a good sharp rod head placed in the right spot. You know, a wood arrow of good weight, um, will, will spit right through an animal like, like any other arrow. Um, if, if the guy does, you know, his part. That's it. Putting in the right spot. That's the really good advice hundred percent, the truth. And we've witnessed that. Uh, on our end many a times and it is amazing what a wooden arrow will do with the right broadhead in the front of it in the right spot uh, is there any other advice that you provide uh, anybody that's called in that's inquired about hey i'm thinking about shooting some wood shafts this season that's new to it other than providing the examples or what you just stated is there any other advice somebody just that's on the fence about it you'd give them well uh, you know i th i think uh yeah, sharp learning to sharpen broadheads is is huge. I'm, I'll just get that one out of the way. That's really important to me. Um, if you're new to archery, you know a lot of these you can get some broadheads that are hunt sharp right out of the package. Now um, that's kind of the exception, but uh, in, in the past that wasn't the case. They were they were sold with they weren't sharpened from the factory. That was your job, you know, to to put the edge on them and. Uh, and, and it's good to learn how to do that. And it's a lot easier to learn how to do that on a little bit softer steel. Um, that's why I always recommend uh, ace broadheads, the old bear broadheads that you can get your 
hands on some good old new old stock bear razor heads and learn how to sharpen in some of that softer steel. And I, I know some guys think like, well, it's soft steel, you know, it's, it's not as good. It's going to get dull going through hair or bone. Trust me, it'll work. It is, and, and you can get them sharp with just a smooth file. You know, you get in heavy to establish your profile that you want. You, you, you learn a little consistency using the file. Then you just lighten your strokes towards the end and then you clean them up, hone them up on a leather strop with some good, uh, buffing compound in there and uh, they they will be hair popping sharp uh with with really what ends up being very little effort once you get the experience of doing it and uh the the nice thing about that too is if you're backpack hunting for elk out west and you're back in somewhere and you've got four broadhead arrows and hey maybe you had some luck you got into them and you, you might have got excited and put two in the dirt and now you're only down to two broadheads but you recovered those arrows, they're in perfectly good shape. All you need to do is touch up those broadheads. We well, can do that with just a little, you know, carry a six inch smooth file and use your leather arm guard, you know, and you, and you've got well, all you, you need to get a razor sharp broadhead on the spot. So, um, that, that's something I'd throw out there for some of these new younger guys. Uh, the other one is, uh, I, try not to get hung up on the foc thing because i i mean it's that's kind of been a thorn in my side running this business for the last five years is everybody thinks they have to shoot a 250 grain broadhead anymore and it's just crazy i mean it it's not that the 250 grain broadhead's bad it's just that the setup they're looking for on a wood arrow it, it's just not the the recipe isn't there it's not gonna not going to pencil out because um, as you guys know as you go up in broadhead weight point weight you also have to go up an arrow spine to compensate for what that heavier point weight does to your it limbers up the arrow right so now you're gotta you gotta go up and spine well with wood arrow shafts as you go up and spine so does the mass weight of the shaft right so now it, you you're 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 getting diminishing returns out of this effort because you're going up in point weight to increase your foc well well your shaft weight's going up too because you had to go up in the spine to make that heavy head work and that heavy that higher spine naturally is heavier shafting material and so you really didn't gain much in terms of foc and now you have uh, a much heavier arrow which is fine for a lot of guys and a lot of setups but not for guys that are chasing FOC. They generally aren't also after a 700 grain arrow. Um, they they want to see that 20% plus FOC. But in my experience, it it the sweet spot is around 13, 12, 13%. And that's what you see with a 125 grain head on a wood arrow. You're going to be right around there. And that's, uh, I, I think, there's a reason that's why those guys shot that that kind of head weight for a long time. It, it works. It just produces a, a very forgiving, well-balanced arrow. So now tell me if, if I uh, personally offended you guys with that. I want to say thanks. Uh, Matt talked me into traditional and then into wood arrows this past year. I shot three deer with your arrows and I've become a believer that you know as long as you tune and that was the most frustrating part for me coming into this is you, you got to uh-huh. spend time bear shaft tuning these arrows and getting them to fly you know somewhat straight 
before you glue the fletchings on. And um, once you get that, you know, pretty straight arrow flight, you can impact, when we showed it at the 3D shoot, you can impact steel and, and it's hitting straight on, you know, the, I guess, unless you have an, uh, a weird shaft or something, it's, it's not going to crack or it's when they hit sideways, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, congratulations on the on putting down three deer this uh, fall. That's that's awesome. In in terms of uh, durability, yeah, Doug Fur is extremely strong, hitting head on. Um, the little tips that I always like to share with people: um, your point taper. Now, this is challenging for my arrow shaft manufacturer because we do offer point tapering service but it's at a fixed, it, it's it's actually right between three quarter and seven eighths, which fits pretty much all the points out there. You know, it doesn't bottom out in the ferrule. That's what you don't want. There's two things you don't want. You don't want it to bottom out in the ferrule uh, because then you have a decent chance. If it just barely bottoms out and you think you're in all the way, well, then you go to glue it on and it's it's pretty easy to get that head cocked just a little bit so you want that 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 taper to just fill the void of the ferrule and no more and you don't want empty space in there too because as you notice if you hit something hard like steel dead on uh there's some energy robbed in terms of that shaft will compress that wood down you know it, it'll force itself into the ferrule further to fill that void uh you can fill that with your hot melt glue if you're mounting with hot melt but it's best to get your taper to where it just comes right up to fill that ferrule. Um, then you're going to avoid the possibility of losing a little bit of penetration power from just the, the arrow, you know, pressing forward into the head as it, as it impacts. If you, if, does that make sense? A lot easier for me to explain it drawing yeah. a picture on a piece of paper, but. It does. I've, I've seen that like with a field point, if you hit uh, something real hard, it'll push back and kind of peel on, on the arrow a little bit. Um, yep. But yeah, that that makes perfect sense. The 125 grain head uh, keep the the weight kind of light on the front end. You 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 know shoot along the lines of of uh, the weight of the bow to match that with the shaft. Uh, yeah, this is uh this is where it gets tricky, and and this kind of goes back um, to that question earlier about how have arrow shafts changed in the last 20 years. The arrow shafts really haven't changed, but the bows sure have. Um, cutting to and path center is, is way more common. Uh, string material has changed. Limb limb materials have changed. So we have these bows that are just um, really they're arrow eating bows. You know, they they just they 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 put a lot of energy into that that shot. And that combined with the bow cut to center, boy, that requires a high spine. So, so I can't say that, you know, that there's really no good rule of thumb for just, you know, base your spine off of your draw weight anymore. And, and draw length is another um, factor that plays a huge role. So it's, it's different for different folks with different draw lengths. Um, but I, I will say that, yeah, I, I think a, a, a more balanced arrow is is uh, is more forgiving. I played around a lot with high FOC and small feathers and all that when that was first starting to become the rage, maybe 
seven or eight years ago um, and and just always struggled to get the arrow flight I wanted. And finally, I was just going back to shooting what had always worked in the past, and I was amazed at how much more forgiving those more balanced, uh, more moderate FOC setups were compared to, you know, trying to make the, you know, a woody weight with a 125, you know, 250 grain setups versus 125 grain setups. It just seemed much more forgiving to me. And in having discussions with a lot of different guys with a lot of experience, um, it kind of come to the same conclusion. But uh, I, I, that's what I wanted to add. Um, over, overall arrow weight, I, I do think that's important. And it depends on what you're hunting and what your bow setup is. But, uh, you know, a good heavy arrow. And, and that's what Ashby, you know, his studies showed is that, you know, you really want a, a strong broadhead that uh, has a really good, you know, it, it's not going to break down on impact, you know, an integral broadhead and uh, and a heavy arrow. And, and those were kind of two of the most important things. And then... And then if you, you know, the FOC thing came in as like, a, you know, if you want to add a little bit skinny shaft diameter and add a little bit, you know, go for this high FOC. But I think also there, you know, there are some assumptions in those tests too that, uh, that, that oversimplify the situation. So uh, Dr. Ashby's study, I think that's a, a, a really good guideline. You know, if, if we stay in the realm of, of what he was shooting on the, some of those large uh, African animals, then, then I think we'll be in, in good shape. Um, so what's the maximum distance that you're going to, you're going to take a shot on a game animal? Yeah, that's, that's a good segue there. Cause, cause distance wasn't really looked at much in those Ashby studies. I mean, from what I remember in, in reading the actual studies, it was kind of, you know, 12 yards broadside on a dead Buffalo, you know, shooting, shooting rib bones, see what happened, water buff. And, and I think with some of those extreme FOC setups, well, I don't think I know I've watched it, but watching guys and shooting over the shoulder, I mean, you get out past 40 yards and if you've got that extreme FOC of like, you know, 25%, that arrow starts falling out of the sky like a rock. I mean, it just nosedives and that cannot be good for penetration. Um, but for me personally, as far as what shots I'm comfortable taking, I mean, it really depends on the situation. I've taken some shots that I won't even say how far they were, but they weren't, they weren't, they weren't what I was taught to shoot, uh, growing up. That's for sure. Um, you know, I, I like, like to be right in there, 14 yards, 15, 16, 17 yards. That's the sweet spot where I feel comfortable getting my bow back without being busted. And, and, uh, but still feeling like I can see the hairs on the side. And, and that gives me a lot of confidence picking a spot when I feel like I can really actually see the, the hairs on an animal start getting farther than that. And I have a tendency to shoot at the whole animal, you know, and get to about 30 yards. I feels like a shot I can make no problem in the backyard, but I'll have a tendency to just shoot at the whole elk and, you know, touch feathers on the brisket or touch feathers, you know, right behind the shoulder hump. I've done that more times than I care to admit, but, uh, yeah. And then there seems to be a, a, a different sweet spot out there past 30, like right around mid thirties, where it just seems like 
if you're comfortable and you've been stump shooting a lot that you just can't miss. So, yeah, I try not to take any shots farther than that, but an elk is a big animal, and sometimes that's the only opportunity you're going to get. And 35 doesn't seem – seems like you got pretty dang close to the animal when you're 35 yards from an elk, seems like. <laughs> that's awesome, man. How often do you shoot your bow during the season? Uh, like, you know, you're hunting. Do you make a point to carry a target with you if you're you're doing those destination hunts? And then also, what's your practice regiment look like outside the season? I I um, used to shoot my bow a lot more than I do now. Uh, seems like anymore I'm just sitting on my butt sighting down arrow shafts. But I tell you what, sighting in and straightening as many arrow shafts as I do seems to help my shooting. Something about holding the arrow up with my left hand extended out the end and sighting down it over and over, straightening them somehow seems to help my vision and in, in picking a spot and shooting. Cause I can, I can generally pick up my bow and have a little more confidence now, even though I hadn't shot for weeks um, compared to before where it seemed like uh, I had to shoot daily to have that kind of confidence. Something about sighting down arrows over and over all day long helps me keep in tune without shooting my bow. <laughs> Um, I think also it's, it's strengthened my hands uh, a bit, and that seems to give me better control over both my bow, bow hand, you know, and, and handling the bow and and, uh, and having control over getting off the string as well. Um, but when it comes time for a hunt, my thing is I need three solid days of shooting before before having an opportunity at an animal. So the way I look at it, like elk hunting's coming up i'm busy running around like crazy trying to get all my gear together get all my meals figured out packing stuff up cleaning up the rig getting all that stuff gear tuned up broadhead sharpened well i'm I'm also trying to shoot for at least three days straight get you know lots of arrows in you know maybe the first day i only get 50 or 60 arrows in but that second day i'm trying to get in you know 100 200 you know closer to 200 arrows and then the third day, another hundred arrows. And once I've done that, I feel really confident. And and then when I'm actually out on the hunt, I always carry stumping arrows, which for me is just a steel, a flat-headed steel blunt, same point weight as my broadheads. And uh, and, and I just try to stump a lot, stump shooting a lot, and that really brings my confidence up you know, transfers over from the backyard, just repetition, getting my muscles in tuned and, and strengthened up and then transferring into, you know, the, that judging distance when you're actually out in the woods, a little different than the backyard and, and doesn't take long to start feeling, you know, building that confidence to where when the shock presents itself, you're not, uh, you're not questioning everything. Doesn't mean I don't, don't miss a lot but <laughs> well i think we all do but that's that's fun too and especially when you're stumping or you know just that's something i never really got to experience until i got to the, the traditional world just you know practicing in the yard is fun shoot you know shooting in general is fun with a traditional bow um, what what kind of bow do you shoot carson um i i was shooting uh Bobbly recurve that my dad gave to me, like a high school graduation gift. Um, shot that for a long time. It was three piece, 
take down and uh then i i really wanted to get into hill style longbows so i bought a couple used hill longbows and really got into that and then i just pretty quickly after that transitioned into i got the self bow bug and was building self bows and i got so into that i started a little business called echo archery selling staves and and custom bows and that's kind of fizzled out now that i took over sherwood chassis i still do a little bit of pedaling and bow staves and and uh primitive supplies on the on the side but it's definitely um on the back burner for now but i yeah i got into self bows and and, and didn't really look back i just it's uh it's hard to make a sweet shooting self bow, but it's hard to beat a sweet shooting self bow. Like once you get, once you get to that point of being able to make one that, that, uh, handles and shoots how you want, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome thing. Um, it's hard to beat a good self bow and just, and just overall nature and, and, and how they handle and, and shoot and don't weigh a thing. And, um, I just love them. Uh, Matt and Tim had a chance to go and, you know, make a hickory bow. And uh, I don't know if either one of them have, have shot anything with it yet, but definitely on my to-do list. I, I can see how that would be pretty special if you made it happen with, with that. It's tough to make one just on your first go around, even with an instructor, you know, that ends up meeting your expectations. But, but if you stick with it and just keep plugging away, um, you know, by by sheer volume and shotgun approach you'll get one that just just you know you can shoot it like no nothing else like and and they just behave differently than than a laminated bow and i i don't know i just i love them and our uh our you would just got all burned up two years ago in the fire so I, i'm holding on tight to the little bit of good stuff i have left and so um yeah, I'm, I'm not a good source for staves right now. I cut a bit of vine maple each year and, and uh, sell a few of those on the side. It's a great bow wood. It's just a little easier to come by. That's pretty awesome. You're you're definitely well immersed in the community. Definitely want to encourage anyone that that is uh, on the fence about trying wood arrows to to give it a shot. There's there's plenty of uh, videos online. You know, uh, we'd be happy to help you definitely order some wooden arrows and, and try them out because it's an experience on its own, uh, just how quiet and, and it just kind of deaden the, the shock. There, there are several just uh, differences that I've experienced. Pretty yep. awesome. Yeah, things that are hard to measure, but you can feel it when you shoot them for the first time. It's like, oh, that's a little different. And then, uh, yeah, once you get a, once you get a set that's really well matched to your setup and uh, realize you can be quite accurate with them it's uh it's a fun road to go down and, and that's not a bad way to get started too is to buy a finished uh set of arrows there's plenty of guys out there that are making finished arrows out of our shafts out of sherwood shafts and and other you know there's still porterford cedar shafts being made and sick spruce shafts there's a, there's different flavors to try uh they all have their own merits but uh buying a set of finished arrows isn't a bad way to get started and then you got kind of something as an example to build off of if you want to go down that road of building your own yep yep good point you have any exciting hunts planned oh i wish i uh 
I'm undecided on uh, our regulations, as I was saying, have changed for elk out here. So I'm kind of torn with putting in for one of uh, we, we do have some trad specific hunting opportunities, which is pretty cool and unique to Oregon right now. Um, so we've got a trad elk hunt. If you buy, if you apply for the traditional archery elk tag, you're, you're pretty well will draw it. You know, there's, there's pretty much hundred percent chance you'll draw the tag. And it gives you the normal four week season plus five days. And you can hunt four different units that, that everybody else is putting in for those four units. You know, they got to pick one of those units, but you can hunt all four kind of gives you a little more room to roam. Uh, it gives you that extra five days. So I'm torn between doing that again or staying closer to home and, and trying and putting an effort towards uh, the coastal elk again. It's just they're, they're, the coastal is kind of a different ball game. Um, but, uh, yeah, hard, hard to decide. And then part of me wants to just get back up to Alaska and try one more time for moose. I went once and we ended up putting a lot of effort into, you know, we, we, we didn't get an opportunity at a big moose. The four of us that went on this kind of adventure float trip, but, uh, but we did discover a good place to get dropped off and just do a solo hunt for, you know, two or three weeks. I think if I could get back up there in that spot for two weeks, I'd have a pretty good, you know. If I was up there for two full weeks and the weather wasn't horrible for the whole time, I'm pretty confident I could at least get an opportunity to shot. So that's in the back of my mind that I'd have to decide here pretty soon if I was going to go for it. But uh, yeah, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary plan. Just, just chipping away at work and uh, hoping to get a decent amount of time chasing and chasing some critters this fall. Yeah, sounds like some dream opportunities. That's not. <laughs> Man, uh, what about for for the the business Sherwood Shad? Anything exciting coming down the pipe there? I I'm, I uh, always experimenting with some some things, and and uh, I, I'm going to try some wood modification techniques here and see how they do with fur. And got some Western Hemlock put up too. That's uh, you know still in the rough, but uh, might might be better suited for. Uh, trying to do a little bit of compression work on the shafts a little different than how sweetland did it but uh it's hard to say if it'll pan out or not it uh it's definitely hard to see it penciling out you know putting dedicating more shop space to a whole new machine and 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 figuring the ins and out of a whole new process and putting more labor into the whole thing you know i don't know that i could if they do work out i don't know that i could really sell them at a price would make sense you know so i i wish i could sound more excited about it i love playing around with it but from a practical business perspective i don't know if i'm i might be chasing uh, windmills well you, you, you don't know and i think that's a perfect segue into uh the way that we close our our podcast every episode is with a prayer and i think voicing that is a, a request to god to in his his will to to fill that for you and and uh us be the beneficiary of all that because i know it's, it's going to benefit the entire community if, if that comes to fruition uh so you know i know it might not seem like there's a way right now for that that to happen but certainly um not outside the realm of possibility when it comes to God. Um, just want to ask if you, either one of you guys had anything else to say before we close in prayer. No, I I, I think that's it uh, for me. But I, I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, God God knows I need 
plenty of guidance. So. <laughs> yeah, all of us do, man. And, and you know, this is uh, it's, it's been quite an honor for us to be able to talk with you. I mean, you you know, arrows like the back of your hand. I'm I'm just you know, I'm feeling baby food when it comes to this stuff. I don't I don't understand any of it, and a lot of the way my uh, build techniques and the way my arrows fly probably could be much better, right? Um, so I've got a lot to learn you know, there. The proof's in the pudding, and and uh, you're you're putting them to work, and they're doing the job. Sounds like so. I sounds like you got all that you need to get figured out. Figured out. So. Yeah, well, I, I thank the community, man. Matt has been really uh, big inspiration, and, and uh, you know, kind of walked me through the whole process. And somebody did that for him, and, and that's been my experience with the entire community. Is you know, if you're wanting to learn this, and no more than a, a message or you know text message or phone call away somebody's i'm sure willing to help you uh but yep yeah so we'll we'll go ahead and close with a prayer so uh dear lord All thank right. you so much um that uh we've we've been able to spend together this evening talking about what we love traditional archery and, and thank you for the uh you know the gift of, of freedom to be able to experience this uh this this awesome sport um and we just pray that you continue to cover us all with your protection. Uh, be with Carson and his business, Sherwood Shaft, and, and help them to grow. And uh, if it is your will to, to to allow them to expand this this new uh, technology and, and you know ultimately service all of us, then uh, so be it. And we thank you for uh, just everything again. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carson. No, thank you, Matt and and, and Mike, and um, appreciate having me on. And yeah, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely, we truly enjoyed it. May God give us all strength as as men in this trying times. That uh, you know, the world at large, outside of bow hunting, needs needs us to uh, to be men and and uh, stay strong and pray that uh, we will have that strength amen yeah brother amen. that's that's uh that's what it's all about man getting getting together and, and kind of opening up on on what we're passionate about why we're passionate about it, telling our stories and giving you know I've, I've got a guy next door a little kid that doesn't have a dad and you know i've got my two boys i'm trying to be a dad too and all these things and trying to beat all these people and and this kid i honestly haven't shown very much attention to but he obviously needs and guidance and and there are other kids like that out there that don't don't have you know a chance and there's a lot of them a lot of them these days and it's and it and you got to start from base one a lot of the times too (laughs) yeah and and it can make a world of difference you know it might not seem like it i think sometimes it, it might seem like you didn't have the impact you wanted on helping somebody out whether it's a kid or anybody, and uh, but sometimes it, it we underestimate it. You know, got to put ourselves out there for that. Yes, sir.